After little interaction with our fellowship's young people in several years, I enjoyed spending an hour in our religious education program last Sunday. We moved from tables where we were coloring to a circle in the middle of Fellowship Hall, our former sanctuary, to do introductions and share joys and concerns. As we made the next transition, the young people were given the floor. And that's when the B word came out. Someone announced that when they think of the fellowship, they think of it as being boring. Smiles curled up on the faces of several of the kids, almost mischievously, and the word was repeated a couple times. Boring. Yeah, boring. As someone who has worked with children for a living a good portion of my life, hearing that word has a pin in the balloon effect. It takes all the air out of you. When you hear it, you know you have to regroup quickly. Say something clever and reevaluate whatever you thought you'd be doing next. But this was different. I could sense this was a frivolous bit of Sunday morning silliness. For these young people, the children in our religious education program, it was just a word, their own word, yes, but one they had no intention of taking seriously. As I suspected a few minutes later, they were waxing poetic in answer to questions we asked them to gather wisdom for our service today. Not the least bit deflated, my balloon was quickly gathering air. What do you wish adults knew? We asked the children. I wish they knew how feelings worked, one child said. What do you feel, what do you like about the fellowship? Learning more about Harriet Tubman, another voice answered quite specifically. Then perhaps our deepest question, what does your heart know is important? Family members being kind, our teachers, how our spirit reacts to things, trees. Class continued with the children making flags and the pulpit cloth that we see displayed here this morning. All the while, with little prompting, the discussions continued. In the midst of making a section of the story cloth, one boy reminded me of something he had learned at the fellowship. He didn't explain the context, but had learned the story of Pandora's box during religious education classes. Pandora's box. The myth of Pandora's box is the story of the first woman on earth. Pandora was, according to the story, created by gods and given a box with instructions not to open it. But curiosity overwhelmed her and she opened it releasing a profusion of evil into the world. Closing the box as quickly as possible, she shut it too fast, and with that action, closed in hope, hope for humanity. His retelling of the story reminds me that stories like these are how we avoid learning becoming boring for children. As adults, we keep telling the stories, our stories, Myths such as Pandora's box or historical lesson like that of Tubman and the Underground Railroad. In turn, children's zest for living, for growing, for enjoying life as they know it, thrives. As the tale goes, Pandora traps hope inside. But there is another version of the myth where hope does come out. Thinking about children and the, and the wisdom they give us that we give each other. 
makes me believe that hope is abundant, alive. The wisdom of our children is like that of Pandora in her box, curious, excited, sometimes downhearted too. We learn as much from our children as they do from us. Together, we're telling stories and opening new Pandora's boxes every day, which means it's never boring and there's always hope. Thank you so much, Scott. And I also wanna take a moment of gratitude for the children in our community. So I invite you to just send some, some gratitude backwards through these doors in the back of the room and into our religious education classrooms. Um, we really owe them a great deal for, for their wisdom today. And also so much gratitude to our Director of Religious Education, Kim Hartman, and all of our wonderful RE teachers. Thank you. When I was eight years old, I made my mom a birthday card for her 39th birthday. Now, homemade cards were pretty common in my family growing up, but this one in particular has lived in infamy. <laughs> My family has remembered this one specific card very fondly for 26 years, and they won't let me forget it. It was a piece of construction paper, and it was folded in half. And on the front, in pencil, I drew a really huge number three next to a huge number nine. So the number 39 took up the entire front of the card. And when you open up the card on the inside, I wrote this message. 39, exclamation point. What a big number. My dad couldn't stop laughing. My mom was speechless before she too started giggling at my faux pas here. I didn't understand what was so funny. I thought it was a clever card. I mean, I was always excited about getting older. Seven-year-old me had been thrilled to turn eight. And I loved birthday cards that celebrated my growing age. I didn't understand why grown-ups would not be happy to be older. To me, 39 was a big number, and my mom was lucky to be 39. Kids see the world in a specific way don't they? There's a very particular kind of important wisdom that comes with being a child. Many kids have not yet had the chance to accumulate all the baggage from the world around us the way that grown-ups have, not yet finding themselves limited by social conventions and expectations that come with being an adult. Not yet having been grasped by one set understanding of how the world works. Kids are great at reminding us that things don't always have to be the way they are or the way they have been. This is the kind of wisdom that I expected to shine when Scott and I visited the kids in our fellowship's religious education program last week. And it did. You heard it. You heard some of it when we shared with you their thoughts earlier in the service. You heard them reminding us that not everything 
Nothing is so serious. You can have fun in life. You heard them say, there's too much testing in school. There are other ways to show what we learn other than testing. There are other ways. There are other ways. Kids are great at reminding us that things don't always have to be the way they've been. And each time they do this, it's an invitation to us to take their words and their ideas seriously. To think critically about how we do things, about how we might be limiting ourselves. To be curious. Are there other ways? What might those be? But there was also another level of wisdom that our fellowship children shared with us during our conversation together. An intuitive wisdom, a heart level wisdom about humanity, about what it means to exist in a community with others. We heard them talk about togetherness, being kind, encouraging each other, valuing our planet, understanding emotions. We heard them talk about the joy of watching someone do what they love. We heard them share about these things so plainly, so simply, so matter-of-factly, with such ease and such clarity. Their words resonated so deeply that I could feel these very same thoughts and feelings bubbling up somewhere deep inside of me too. Not only because I agreed with what they were saying, but more importantly because I could almost feel eight-year-old me enthusiastically nodding along with everything that was being said and chiming in right along with them. We each are all the ages we have ever been. I'm not sure who articulated this idea originally, but I do know that novelist Madeline Langle has said it this way. I am still every age that I have been. Because I was once a child, I am always a child. Because I was once a searching adolescent given to moods and ecstasies, there's still a part of me and always will be. These are still a part of me and always will be. This does not mean that I ought to be trapped or enclosed in any of these ages, the delayed adolescent, the childish adult, but that they are in me to be drawn on. They are in me to be drawn on. We each are all the ages we have ever been. And every age we have ever been carries with it specific wisdom and insight. When we talk about someone being in touch with their inner child, we often think about tapping into playfulness and, and a sense of wonder, right? And these are important. That's very valuable wisdom. But there's also more there, too. 
And I think our kids deserve a little more credit. Because think about it. What is it that children are actually doing in their formative years? What is special about our youngest stages of life? Children are constantly engaging in the process of learning what it means to be human. That's what they're doing. That's their job. That's their primary responsibility, learning what it means to be human, exploring humanness in all its forms, on a physical level, on an emotional level, on a moral or even spiritual level. Children are making sense of their bodies, their inner worlds, the world around them. And they're, they're forced to do this work because everything is just still so new to a child. After leveling up to adulthood, it's different, right? It can be so easy for us adults to think that we've figured out this whole human existence thing. But in reality, the work of learning what it means to be human that work is never finished. It's only deepened. It's a big part of why we are here, a part of this faith community, right? To explore what it means to be human. Child psychologist and author Robert Coles points out two different important ways that children do this learning, the learning of what it means to be human. The first way he talks about is something that Scott mentioned before, stories. Children are surrounded by stories, soaking them in all the time. Bedtime stories, stories heard in school, stories told about the past, story times at the library. Children are immersed in stories on a daily basis. They, they're hungry for them, and they're pros at learning from them and absorbing them. The second way children learn how to be human, according to Robert Cole, is through the act of witnessing. As children are exploring and taking in the world, they are constantly paying attention to everything around them, witnessing what happens at home, at school, on the streets, out running errands with their parents or guardians, on the playground. Everywhere children go, they are witnessing, paying attention, holding on to everything that they see. And they are asking questions about what it all means. Stories and witnessing. Stories and witnessing. That's the work of learning what it means to be human. And that's a lot of what we do here at the fellowship, isn't it? 
We lean into stories. We bear witness to each other and to the world around us. And the more you think about it, the more it becomes clear that our journeys as adults in a community of faith are not at all different from the journeys of children. Here we talk about being a multi-generational community, and boy is that true. Our journeys across generations are all bound up together, regardless of our age or our stage in life all bound up together. This idea really hit me when Scott and I asked our kids in RE last week, what do you wish adults knew? And then we heard, I wish adults knew when we were going to die and what happens after we die. I wish adults could predict the future. Yeah. Yeah, adults are supposed to be solid, comforting pillars of answers and certainty for children, aren't they? And yet, when I heard the kids talk about their yearnings for answers, their yearnings for answers and certainty, these yearnings, they felt so familiar and so relatable. They could have just as easily come from me, an adult. When I was working as a hospital chaplain this past summer, there was one night I was on an overnight shift and I responded to a call in the emergency trauma bay. I stood there with a group of residents, doctors in training, and we waited for the ambulance to arrive with an incoming patient. One of the residents suddenly looked up and looked around the room and all of a sudden anxiously asked, wait, where are the grown-ups?" I can assure you that this resident, he was no Doogie Hauser, and he was indeed himself a grown-up. We all giggled at his question knowing that he was referring to the fact that he did not see any attending physicians in the room yet, those doctors with more experience who, who supervise the residents. Without the security of one of those authority figures present, this competent resident felt nervous and unsure. How often do we get that feeling even as adults, regardless of our age, that, that grasping for reassurance and certainty, scanning around for someone who is wiser, someone who knows what they're doing. Wait, where are the grown-ups? What is going to happen? Will things be okay? In these moments, it's easy to see how children and adults are so bound up on the same journey. And we're so, and we're reminded so vividly of what it is like to feel deeply uncertain and vulnerable and afraid. This week was a tough one, dear ones. Our hearts break as we witness all that is happening in Ukraine. 
And perhaps you in your life have additional things that have made this week tough. We can feel it kicking up that uncertainty, that, that vulnerability, that fear, that, that helplessness, those painful feelings that we first got a taste of long ago as children. Have you checked in with yourself this week? Have you checked in with the child inside of you? Our inner child is a great resource for signaling that something is going on, telling us that there are feelings or struggles that we should pay attention to. And often, no matter how heavy our hearts, no matter how weary our souls, we may have trouble holding our adult selves with tenderness and compassion. It can be much easier to summon tenderness and compassion for that child inside of us. So that's my invitation right now, if you wish to. I invite you to place a hand on your heart. You can close your eyes if you feel safe doing so. And breathe. Picture yourself as a child. What feelings come up for you looking at this child? What can you do to bring this child comfort right now? Imagine doing that. Maybe you are giving the child within you a hug. Maybe you're saying something reassuring like, I've got you. I'm with you. Just live in that interaction within yourself for a moment. Hold that child with tenderness and love.
Breathe. may come back to this space when you are ready. What was that like for you? As the children around us and within us teach us about this important process of learning to be human, a process that can reawaken joy and gratitude and possibility, and also a process that can remind us that humanness comes with the discomfort of uncertainty. It comes with vulnerability. It comes with grief. It comes with fear. It comes with feelings of helplessness. This project of existence can be hard and confusing and downright painful. That's why it's important to do it together so that we can hold each other with love and gentleness while we tell stories and witness together. So we can be reminded that we are not alone. so that we can harness the power of connection and community with the hope that younger generations bring. In the words of eight-year-old Will from our RE program, I'd never experienced anything like what we do here before. And now I get to. May it be so. And amen. <laughs>